Well, good morning, everyone. It's such a great day to worship the Lord with you on this Father's Day. Uh, I know some of you have mentioned to me, Happy, happy Father's Day. I'm happy to, uh, to receive uh, such, um, uh, such notice from you all. Uh, however, as we're coming before the Lord this morning, I wanted to, uh, to remind ourselves that even though we wish human beings happy Father, we have one true Heavenly Father who is our perfect Heavenly Father, right? Because we all have different fatherly experience. I don't know about you. I have a great father. But again, we all have different kind of fatherly experience. But there is one Father that truly satisfies us, and that is our Heavenly Father in our Lord. And today, as we are coming to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 through 5, it's actually a fitting passage for us regarding how we should behave in our service to God when we consider God as our Lord and Savior. Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 through 5, and, and dive into this passage together. It says this, This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required the stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. I'm not aware of anything against myself, and I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purpose of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Spout in the word of prayer. Our Father, we're thankful that we get to pray to you. We're thankful that we get to call you our Father. We're thankful that you have set us here in this passage example for us in terms of how we should live and how we should serve you as faithful servants of yours. We pray that we will learn much from this, Lord, and we pray that we will serve you indeed in a way that you find pleasing in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Stats do not lie. But they also don't tell us everything about an individual. These days, I'm watching the NBA. It's been over, but I, you know, I watched some of, the, some of the games. I didn't have time to watch all the games. I watched some of them because I like basketball. I grew up playing basketball. My friends and I would play basketball all the time when we're just passing time in college. I have a lot of fun playing this game. I love watching basketball, especially when uh, one of our teams, and I grew up in San Francisco, one of the teams which is playing for San Francisco, the Golden State Warriors, playing the NBA playoffs. I was pretty happy about that. Amen. So I watched, I watched the game. Amen. Okay. And that's great. I watched the game and um, I watched the highlights. And I didn't have time to watch all the games because I'm pretty busy with ministry, with raising a family, et cetera. I watched the highlights most of the time. And watched the highlights. People will usually tell us and some of the announcers will tell us how an individual did in that particular game. Whether the individual did a good job or not. And these are the stats of the individual. Individual could have made certain amount of free, fr- free throws, certain amount of field goals, certain amount of uh, three-pointers, certain amount of blocks, certain amount of steals. And those stats would qualify or would characterize an individual as a good player or not. And we look at stats, and stats do tell us a lot. A good player normally would have good stats, a good amount of uh, accomplishments, a good amount of, uh, of points scored, and different kind of things that would attribute to the fact that this person is a good player at the game of basketball. However, the reality is that no matter how great a stats that you have, that does not mean that your team will win the game. We see that here in our Los Angeles Lakers. You can have great people playing, right? Great players with great stats playing in our team, but then we don't make it to the playoffs, and we definitely don't make it to 
the finals. And we know that just because an individual has great stats does not necessarily mean that individual is a great contributor to the team or help the team to win in general. What people are looking for and what we should be looking for individuals, especially individual, bas- individual players in basketball or in life, are individuals who are faithful in their roles. In basketball, you need people who are faithful in their roles, people who will stand in that position, who will shoot from that position, who will block in that position, who will, who will help the team rotate in that position. You need individuals who are faithful, who are not just out there to score a bunch of points, but out there to help other people be better. Individuals who are faithful in accomplishing what they're called to do. This applies to life as well. In life, we must look for individuals who are faithful to partner with. You can have an individual who is tremendously wealthy. That would be a stat to be celebrated, a person who has a lot of money. You can have a person who perhaps graduated from a high-end college with a high GPA. That is a stat to be celebrated. We could have an individual who perhaps have many degrees, and that is a stat to be celebrated. But that does not mean that individual is a good person to work alongside with, or individual is a good person to be friend with, or individual to marry. Certainly, you would not consider individual simply because a person has a lot of money, has a lot of uh, stats, a lot of high GPA, or anything that's a lot to be a good person to marry. You want a person who is what? Faithful, right? Faithful in his or her role. Faithful in contributing to the overall cause which you are about to partner with. Our God is in the same way. Our God is looking for faithful individuals. He's looking for faithful individuals who would follow him, who is committed to him. Individuals who would give up their lives for him. Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9 says this, For the eyes of the Lord runs to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. Our God is looking for individuals whose hearts are blameless toward God. The word blameless can also be translated to be the word whole. Individuals whose hearts are wholly dedicated to God. God is looking for such individual. Individual who is faithful toward him in doing the things that he's called him to do, doing the things that God wills for this individual to do. So God's looking for individuals who are of such nature. However, what we see also in Scripture is that he has not found anyone who fits that criteria. Psalm chapter 53, verse 2 to 3 says this, God looks down from heaven on the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They've all fallen away, and together they have become corrupt. There's none who does good, not even one. And God looks down on earth, look for anyone who is committed to him, anyone who's seeking to do God's will, anyone who will do God's will as God command men to do, and the reality is that he has not found any. And the reason why he has not found any is because we have fallen away from God because of our sins. See, we were created perfect by God. We're created holy by God. We're created to be in his presence. We're created to dwell with God forever. However, in the very beginning, we thought of ourselves as better. We thought to operate in our own wisdom. We thought to operate independent from God. That's why we took the fruit. Uh, Satan said, you take the fruit and you can be wise as God is. And we said, you know what? We'll, we'll take it. We don't need God anymore. And we took it as a result of that life is not better but worse. We were not faithful to God's cause. We walked away from God. 
as a result of that, sin came into the world. Death came into the world. Decay came into the world. All the ugly things which you see in this world and feel in this world came into the world. People's hurtful words, people's hurtful actions, the, see, the things that you see in the news, all came to the world because of sin. We brought this onto ourselves because we were not faithful to God in the way which he had created us in the very beginning. Our God, however, who is loving, who is restoring, who is patient with us, desired for us to return to him, and he presented to us the gospel. The gospel ultimately is the story of one faithful man, Jesus Christ. See, Jesus, he was faithful. He's faithful to the Father's will. Whatever the Father says, he did perfectly. That is Jesus Christ. However, he was all existing before he came to this world. He was God. He did not need to do this, coming to the earth and do all these things on this world for himself because he is God. He is perfect. He had nothing to prove. The reason why he came to earth for you and for me is because, well, to, to come to earth in general is because of for you and for me. He came for us. He came to live that perfect life as a human being so that he can give that perfect, righteous human life to you and to me. Amen. To save us, to present us holy before God. That faithful life that Jesus lives, if you believe unto him, that faithful life is credited to you as your righteousness. That is the gospel. And as he came, he also died on the cross to pay for the punishment that is due us for our sins. We sin against the holy God. Our God is due to punish us because he is the holy and the righteous God. However, Christ took that punishment from us. He loves us. He took that punishment so that we would not have to endure that punishment in hell. And then he rose again, amen, from the dead to show us that eternal life rests in him. That eternal life begins today. You know, Jesus said, if you believe unto me, you shall never die. Your eternal life begins today. Your soul is resurrected. You begin to live that resurrected life today, and that life lasts, to, lasts you until eternity. When you receive that resurrected body, you'll be with Christ forever. Your soul is resurrected today. You get to today live that faithful life to the Lord if you are his. And that is God's command to us here in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 through 5. We're called by God to live a faithful life unto Him. And if you're called to live by God or live by God and to live this faithful life unto Him, you must ask the question, how do I do it? How do you live this faithful life? So there are three characteristics which we're going to see today that will characterize the life of a faithful believer here in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 through 5. So you can check yourself to see if you have these characteristics in your life. If you do, you are a faithful believer in Christ. The first characteristic is this. If you're a faithful believer in Christ, you are a servant of God. Amen. You are characterized by this word servant. You're here to serve. We're going to see this in verse 1 through 2. Paul says, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God, moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Now, as we come to this passage, we're seeing Paul himself communicating to the Corinthian church. He's teaching the Corinthian church, encouraging the Corinthian church to follow God. This church is precious to Paul. It's precious to God. 
I mean, God had commanded Paul to minister to this church. Paul had come down in the second missionary journey, come down that Grecian eastern coast, coming down from Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, eventually hitting Corinth. In Corinth, he planted this church. This is the church that Paul stayed for a year and a half. A particular church he stayed for a tremendous amount of time compared to any other place he stayed. Any other place he stayed for a couple months and he left this particular church. He stayed for a year and a half ministering to this church, teaching this church, encouraging this church to follow the Lord. He spent a lot of time at this church. Now, he spent a lot of time at this church. He eventually had to move on. The reason why he had to move on is because of this. He is an apostle. What apostle is this? Apostle the literally term of the literally meaning of the word apostle means that he's a sent one of God. He's a sent one. He's a missionary. He's not to stay at a particular place like I would do because I'm not necessarily calling, calling myself a missionary. I'm a pastor at a local church. I want to stay here for the rest of my life if God calls me to. That's what my feelings are. That's but that's for me, and that's for many of you. For Apostle Paul, however, his feelings are different. He's a missionary. He has to move from one place to the next, going to places where gospel has not been spread, where the gospel has not been taught. He goes to those places, establishes churches, teaches the gospel, and makes sure the church is growing, and he leaves and takes off to go to another place. That's the role of an apostle. So he stayed at this church for a year and a half. He's pretty uh, established in the church, established in this church, making this church established, and eventually he moves on. Another person comes. His name is Apollos. Apollos is mentioned in Acts chapter 18, verse 27. It says this, when he, that's Apollos, wished to cross over to Achaia, and that's Corinth, the brothers encouraged him to, and wrote to the disciples and welcomed him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. This is in Acts chapter 18, verse 27. So Apollos came to Corinth, and he was sort of the pastoral uh, personality kind of person. He stayed in Corinth. He ministered the people of Corinth and helped the people in Corinth grow in the Lord. It says this, he greatly helped those who believed. So this is the man who stayed and helped people and encouraged people to grow. Now Paul says this, whether you're a planter, whether you're the one who waters, it really doesn't matter. You're all servants of God because God is one who is orchestrating his master plan behind the people. We're nobodies to speak of, of ourselves. We cannot make a plant grow. We can plant the seed into the ground. We can water the seed. But in the end, it's God who makes the thing grow. It's the God who makes the church grow. It's God who instills passions within an individual to, to desire God. It's God who causes people to walk through the doors and want to learn about Jesus, God himself. A man cannot cause it to happen. Only God can. So therefore, Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6 to 7, I planted Apollo's water, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but God who gives the growth. God is the one who gives the growth. So we celebrate God. We worship God. We come together and we point our hearts and our minds toward God and not toward man. That is a healthy church. That's what we should be. However, for the church of Corinth, what we found out was that they were not healthy. In fact, they brought a lot of worldly ideology into that church, namely the ideology of comparisons. We see this all the time in the church. I used to, and I still do have a neighbor who is working in the entertainment industry, and he, he invites me to go to his barbecues, parties, and meet a lot of people who work in that industry. And they would show me pictures of them hanging out with, like, Pharrell and uh, different, kind of, uh, yeah, different kind of people who are in the, in, the, uh, in the industry and say, you know what, I know this guy. I know that guy. I know this, this person. I'm hanging out with this director. This person would directed this, per this, this show. And they would show me these things. They would take pictures with them and show me on the phone, not knowing 
But to them, you know, it's very impressive, and to many, it's very impressive because they hang out with people of high status who are in the in that field of industrial work. Now, the church Corinth did this as well. However, they did not do this in the setting of the worldly sense, in the sense, in the sense of who's out there in the world, but they're doing this in a spiritual setting, in the religious sense, in which they're saying, you know what, I hang out with this pastor. I hang out with this national speaker. I hang out with this person who knows uh, a lot of people who, who has influenced a lot of people through his mega church. And, and, and because I know them, I'm more important. So you see this on Facebook all the time where it's like, oh, so-and-so pastor took a picture with me. You know, you put it on Facebook and all of a sudden, like, you know what? He, he, he took a picture with you. You must be important too. And so that's what the church of Corinth is doing. They're saying, you know what? I, I, I'm associating myself with Paul. I'm associating myself with Cephas. I'm associating myself with Apollos. So therefore, I'm important. Look how much they're paying attention to me. So therefore, I'm important. Before you all, this is what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3 to 4. He says, you're still of the flesh. There's a carnal way of thinking. This is the worldly way of thinking. While the jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Paulus, are you not being merely human? So see, you guys are comparing yourself with one another. You guys are matching yourself with one another. This is the carnal way of processing things in your life. You're to measure up to God. You're to compare yourself with God. You're to, to look at how Jesus saved you and rescued you. You're not to compare yourself with other fellow human beings. In fact, when God saved you, you are nobody. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, says this, Well, consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were noble birth. So God did not choose those who are noble birth. God did not choose those who are powerful to save because God desired to demonstrate his grace, his strength, his power through those who are not strong so that he will receive all the glory so that he will receive all the praise, right? You're not going to steal God's praise if you're not strong. You, the, all the things are happening through you. It's only because of God. It wasn't, be through, it wasn't because of you. You had no money. You had no status. You had nothing. And God's using his tremendous, uh, uh, utilizing you tremendously. It's all because of him. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 28 and 29 says, God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So no human being might boast in the presence of God. God desired to have all the glory, desired to use you and me who are lowly to present himself. And it's a tremendous blessing for us to be a part of that. Do you want God to use you? Do you want God's power to flow through you? Do you want God to influence the world mightily through you? If you do, remain humble. Remain as a nobody. Remain small in the eyes of the world. That is a mature way of thinking through life. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 through 19, that no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he's wise in this age, let him become a fool so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of the world is folly with God. God says this, you want to be wise? You want to be wise in the world? You want to be mature in this world? Become a fool in the sight of the world. When the world considers you to be a fool, you are on the right page. Because you are humble. You're not, no, you're not letting other people notice you. You're not presenting yourself to be somebody. You're not, you're not boasting of your earthly behavior, earthly accomplishments. You're not showing off right, who you know and what you know. And if you're not standing next to this famous person, you're not showing off these things. You're just letting God's power work through you while being humble. This is the attitude of a mature believer in Christ. 
Now, as Paul encourages people of Corinth to be mature in such a way, he's himself applying this to his own life as well. You see, Paul is in the limelight right now. He's in the limelight. Limelight, he is in this place where people are noticing him. That's his position. You know, people know who Paul is, his apostle. People know who Apollos is. People know who Cephas is. He's in this position. And so he says, even though I'm in this position where people know who I am, I'm actually applying this very principle to my life as well. He says in verse 1, this is how you should look at me. I'm not somebody you should look at me as, oh, what a famous preacher. Let me kowtow this guy. Let me kiss the ring on his finger. No, this is how you should regard me. Servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So what is the word servant? The word servant is not your typical word for servant. The typical word for servant is the word doulos. You heard about those word doulos literally means a household slave, a household servant, someone who says, you know, someone who, who says to the master, hey, I will serve you forever and ever. I'm your household servant. Even though the, the term is up, right? You, you say, you know what? I will serve you forever. You are doulos. You're a household servant of your master. This is not that word. Even though that's who we can be and who we should be, we should be doulos of God. That is not what this term is. This is the term kuparetes, which means galley slave. So what's a galley slave? You have seen a galley? Have you seen a boat? Have you seen the movie Ben-Hur? Some of us have, right? It was in the 1960 movie Ben-Hur. It's like one of the Academy acclaimed in the movie of all time. You have Ben-Hur there, like a bottom of the boat, right? He's pushing like, the oars while people are whipping him, and you have the drums going doom, 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 doom. That's a galley slave. You're on the third level down. You don't even see what's going on. And all you hear is just this drum, right, telling you you should roll this fast. And the master is saying you should, you should do it. If not, you know, you're going you're gonna to have to do it. And you're listening to the drum beat, and you're pushing, and you're pulling, and you're pushing, and you're pulling according to the beat of the drum. The beat goes faster, you're pushing faster. The beat goes slower, you're pushing slower. That's who Paul says he is. A lot of times we'll consider leaders, like, oh, what a visionary a person who has ideas, a person who can see what's coming in the future, the futurist, that's a leader. Paul says, I'm not even, I can't even see what's going on around me. I'm just there pushing the wars. The one who sees the future is who? Jesus. Jesus sees the future. He's the one who directs the boat. He's the one who tells me, hey, this is how fast you go. Go this fast. This is how high you should jump. Jump this high. He says, you know what? Whatever Jesus says, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do I'm just a galley slave of the Lord. I'm just there to obey the will of the master. I'm not a visionary. I'm not the one with a bunch of ideas. I'm there to obey the Lord in the specific space he's called me to. That's a faithful person. Now, specifically what Paul does is this. He said this in verse 1. I'm a steward of the mysteries of God. He said, what's a steward? Well, steward is a manager. And we actually see this in in our world today. What's a steward that we typically use a steward for? Like a stewardess or steward of an airplane, right? If you go up to the air, you fly in the airplane and you have steward or stewardess, what do they do? Yeah, they pass you you the, the, the fruit, the snack, whatever, right? They pass you the crackers. They give you the blankets. They give you whatever the company says, give it to the customers, right? Whatever the company provided, the stewards are managers of that and give it to the customers. The steward does not do what? He does not bring his own food, right? He does not, oh, let me cook some food at home, you know, and I'm like, hey, here you go, here's some of my own cooking. He does not do that. He gets fired, right? <laughs> he passes out what the company says to pass out. And Paul says, I'm a steward. I'm the manager, not of food and of clothing, not of blankets, but of what? 
of the mysteries of God, verse 1. Mysteries of God. What God has provided, I'm just a pass hour. I'm just passing this out. I'm just letting people know. I'm just sharing this to all, sharing this to all, what God's given to me to tell you all this specific thing called the mysteries of God. Say, what is a mystery? Well, Colossians chapter 1, verse 26, 27, tell us what the mystery is. It says this. This is the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul says this. What God says is saying is this. Saying there's a mystery. There's a mystery that is now revealed, a mystery that is not found in the Old Testament. Old Testament people offer sacrifices. They know that somehow God forgives sins. They know somehow God uh, cancels out sins. Somehow they're received by God into God's presence. They know that God does, but they don't know exactly how God does it. So in the New Testament, God reveals that to the person Jesus Christ. Jesus came, lived a perfect life, died on the cross. What was that sacrifice, right? In John chapter 1, verse 29. John the Baptist claimed this. He was the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. That Lamb that is to be sacrificed. So that mystery has been revealed in the New Testament. Not only are the Jews to be saved, the Gentiles also are to be saved. We are all brought to the presence of God through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul says this, I am here to tell everybody this great truth. I'm a steward of this great truth. I'm the manager of this great truth. I'm going out to, my, to the places in the world to, to, this, uh, to administer this great truth. I'm here to share with you all and all that I want in my life, all that I want to present to myself and to God is this, I want to be faithful. That's what she says in verse 2. It is called for the steward, right? A steward is to be found faithful, faithful. This is a hard attitude for each one of us. See, a lot of times we think about our lives and say, you know what? The, the people who have the ideas, the people who are the visionaries are the leaders that who God is looking for to lead the next generation of God's church. It's like, really? Let's, let's look at all the examples of Scripture. Look at Joseph. Was Joseph a, a talented person? Sure he was. I mean, eventually at the end of his life, what did he do? He led the whole nation, right? He was second in command of the nation of Egypt. Tremendously talented and gifted Right? He could speak, he could, he could manage, he could, he could give orders, and he, he knows what's going on. Gifted man of God. But what happened to him there at the beginning? Was he like, you know what, I'm going to jump from one company to another company, and then I want to get this company, I'm going to work so much, and I work for three years, I'm going to hire, get hired by this company, eventually I'll move up to Pharaoh's household, and, and then eventually he's going to hire me, I'm going to be second command of all Egypt. That's not his plan. What did he do? Now, he was sold to be a slave, right, in part of his home. He was just being faithful, being faithful in that home. And part of her is not thinking that Joseph would go anywhere. If he thought that Joseph was going anywhere, he would not hand Joseph everything in his household. But he did. Genesis chapter 39, verse 6, Potiphar left all that he had in Joseph's charge. He thought Joseph would stay here forever, be my servant forever, serve me forever. So therefore, Joseph, you're being faithful. I'll hand it to you. You take care of it. And Joseph wasn't thinking about, oh, now so I'm going to be a master of Palpart of his house, and I'm going to be a master of this bigger house here and the next bigger house, and I'm going to jump my way around. Never see that in Scripture. He was just faithful in the space which has been given. But God had a different plan. See, God is the one who moves us around, not us. We're not the ones who create opportunity. God is the one who creates opportunity. 
So what do you do? Yeah, something happened to Joseph, right? A crime Joseph did not commit. Just throw him to prison. Now he's in a different space. What, what, what did he do? He did the same thing. He was faithful and eventually the prison guard gave him everything, right? You can be in charge of the prisoners, Joseph. We trust you. And Joseph was doing that. And he could have been in prison forever. I mean, he wanted to get out, but he could have been in prison forever. He didn't try to run away, didn't try to escape, or didn't try to do any of that. But he was faithful in doing what the prison guards were asking him to do, really what God's calling him to do. And eventually he interpreted dreams with two people. And one of them rose up in front of Pharaoh, and Pharaoh had a dream that needed to be interpreted. This person remembered Joseph, and Joseph was brought before Pharaoh, interpreted the dream for Pharaoh, and eventually helped Pharaoh manage the whole nation. Pharaoh gave him the entire nation to manage. How did Joseph get there? Because he had a vision? Because he was smart enough? Because he jumped from one company to another? No. He was faithful in the very space that he was given. And that was it. And then God moved him around. That's how we should consider our lives as well. See, we can think, oh, we just need to do this and that and and get ahead in this way and that way. God says, no, just stop. Just be faithful in what you're called to do in your specific space. And I will bring to you where I will bring to you. This exact lesson that God taught, and Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25 is a story of the, the talents, right? Particular, three servants, actually, three servants were given talents. One given one, one given two, one given five. They weren't in charge of how many talents we're going to give. It's not like, oh, I'm going to be given the five. I'm going to be one given the two. No, like, they were given. It was the master's charge was the master's decision which one are going to receive how much. It's the master's decision which space they're going to be in. You're going to invest with the one, you're going to invest with the two, you're going to invest with the five. And the investment might look very, very different from the one to the two or to the five. But God says this, I just want you to be faithful. So one go, uh, the, the one with the two goes out, the one with the five goes out. We're faithful with what they were given. And the result was this. Those who are faithful, God said this in Matthew chapter 25, verse 23. Well done, good and faithful servant. He gave the same compliment to the one who had the two, the one who had the five. And to the one who did not do anything, he took that talent away and gave it to what? The one who had the five. That's the way God works in this world. I mean, certainly there's this applies to eternity, but it applies to today as well. If you're faithful to what God's given to you, God will give you more. I mean, this is how we manage people in the world as well, right? Like someone does a good job, what do you do? You hire him for the next job, right? God does the same thing. You do a good job with what you've been given, you be hired for the next one. So it says this in Matthew chapter 25, verse 29, for everyone who has, right, the very story, what more will be given and he will have abundance but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. You're not faithful, you're not getting nothing. You're faithful, you get more. You get more, God will credit you more. God will give you more responsibility. You know, you're faithful, of, we're faithful with the flock we have, right? Whatever many people who are here, God will increase the number so that we will be influenced to Hollywood. All of us, right, participating in the work of ministry, seeing God work through us. So here it is. A faithful servant, a faithful believer in Christ is the one who considers himself to be a servant. You're a galley slave. You're just here to serve. You're not thinking about vision ideas or anything you're just you know how can i serve how can i be a how can i how can i better other people's lives how can i bring another person to christ in my specific space that's one second characteristic second characteristic exists they're undistracted they're undistracted we see this verse three but with me it's very small things that should be judged 
by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. Now, Paul is letting us into his kitchen right now this moment. Like he's being very personal in his discipleship. You almost don't see this very often enough when a pastor preaches and teaching doctrine, right? Teaching theology. But Paul himself is not teaching doctrine, theology. He's actually pouring his heart out for you and for me to, to see a glimpse of his heart, how he deals with ministerial pride, right? How he deals with pride in his own heart. Now, specifically, Paul is judged by people. He's judged by people because he's in the limelight. He is in the position people know him. And he's judged by people in such a way that he has to ignore some of the judgment and take in some. Now, there's some judgment that's good, and people bring to me judgment all the time, which is good because we want to judge ourselves according to the standard of God's Word. And so people come to me and say, God's Word says this, does your ministry reflect that? And I actually welcome that, right? I want to do better in the ministry. I want to, be, I want to have an accurate and fit-filled ministry, so I want to assess my ministry according to the judgments of God. That's a good judgment. There are however, bad, bad judgment. And the bad judgment is this. They're judgments of comparisons. So it's like this. It's like me being compared with another pastor down the street. Now, that other pastor has got 30 people. We got so many people here. And it's got only 25 people. And so, you know what? You're, you're more influential. Oh, oh, I feel so good. I'm so more important than that pastor. That's bad. Okay, or down the street, the further down the street. Oh, that pastor got 1,000 people. He's only been here passing Hollywood for two years. And 1,000 people in that church. You've been here how long? Oh, 10 years? And you only got, what, 60 people? And you feel like, oh, I'm such a horrible minister of the Lord. That's a judgment comparison. And that is good or bad? That's bad, bad, okay? Paul says, that's bad. It matters very little how I am judged by you. Paul says this, you guys are judging me. You guys are comparing me with Cephas, comparing with Apollos, comparing with, with all these other, judge, uh, other preachers. I said, it matters very little how you see me. It matters very little in that sense of comparison. We see this all the time, right? And, and then the ministerial pride is there too as well. You see a, you know, a pastor could be preaching at a conference. You have the poster back in those days, now just social media. You have the nationally known pastor, big picture, right? And then you have the small pictures right, which are the local pastors and pastors who are not well known. And the people who are thinking, the people who are in the big picture, I'm not saying this logistically that's wrong, but the temptation is for those who are in the small picture to think, hey, how in the world do I get to be in one of the big pictures? You're thinking these ways, right? Paul says, you know what? I don't even think. I don't, I don't, when I look at posters like that, when I look at people's assessment like that, and Paul says this, whether by you or by human court, the word human court here in verse 3 literally means a day of man. Compared to the day of the Lord, this is a day of man when a bunch of people come assess me or just individually, informally assess me, it matters very little. When it comes to comparison, I don't really let myself compare myself. I don't really let that bother me. I don't let that inflict pride or self-pity in my heart. And it applies to all of us, right? I'm not talking about pastors in general. I mean, your ministry here in our church, too, could be compared with one another, whether you're serving in, 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 in a uh, discipleship way, serving in a team ministry kind of way. People can compare you with another person who's serving, right? More people are uh, wanting to be in your small group. More people want to uh, be a part of this and that, which you're doing. And more people want to hear your teaching, whatever. It's like very, it matters very little how other people think of me. Whether people say this or not, I can't stop you from saying it. I mean, people will say what they say. But in my own process, in my own process, in my own mind, it matters very little. Now, Paul says this. Not only does it matter very little how people judge me, he said this also, verse 3. In fact, I do not even judge myself. So he realized there are two ways he could be distracted. Number one, information coming from the outside. 
right? This is what we talked about, external information. People saying, oh, this and that about you. You have such a good, you are this pastor, and this pastor is not doing as much as you're doing, or you're doing this pastor, doing what you're doing, or you're more important than this pastor in Hollywood. More people, psh, information outside, distracting, push it away, right? And I'm not going to let that inf- in, uh, in, impact my, my devotion to God and what God's coming to do. Push it away. Not only is the information from the outside, there's also information coming where? From the inside. That's the painful part, right? You begin to judge yourself after two, three years, four years in ministry. It's like, man, why is my ministry not growing like the one down the street? Like down, when the one down the street, people are going to that church. Why not coming here to this church? Be like, oh, man, I'm... I'm such a horrible, you know, or people, you know, in the ministry, I right, say, if you leave multiple, the multiple Bible studies going on in the church, right, eventually we'll get to that place, and people are like going to the Wednesday Bible study, but they're not going to Thursday night, because Thursday night is taught by this person, Wednesday is taught by this person, people all want to hear, it's like, oh man, like what, and you feel this thing, right, and, and, and you, you're communicating to yourself, what a, a uh, great pastor you are, or great, or great a minister you are, or how horrible a minister you are, and Paul says, you know what, I have to cut off that information too. In fact, verse 3, I do not even judge myself. I'm not the best one to assess myself and my impact for the kingdom of God. I just am not. I cannot know. I cannot know. I cannot look at the size of my ministry. I mean, look at that five men who died on the seashore in Ecuador. I mean, when they died by the awkward people who killed them, did they think, oh, my ministry is going to be worldwide known? I mean, they just died. They don't even know what's going on after that. But their ministry is Jim Elliott, right? Jim Elliott's ministry. Elizabeth Elliot, worldwide known ministry because they died on the seashore of Ecuador. How did they, did they determine that? Did they say, well, we're going to do this? No, we just don't know the impact of our ministry. We don't know the church can stay the same size it is today and be worldwide ministry, whatever it is. People can look at this church worldwide 100 years from now if the Lord tarries, right? If, if the Lord tarries and say, well, this is a ministry that changed the world. We, we just don't know. We don't know. We're not in the best position to assess ourselves. And neither were to assess others as well. Because if we're not to assess ourselves, we're not to assess the impact and importance of other people's ministry. You think about the story of John and Peter in John chapter 21. You remember that story when Jesus was feeding the disciples at the breakfast at the, at the end of Jesus' ministry and eventually restored Peter to ministry, saying to Peter, hey, Peter, do you love me more than these? Peter says, I do, I do, I do. Jesus says, be my sheep, be my lamb. Restored Peter to that ministry. And then right after Peter is restored, what did Peter say? Peter said this in John chapter 21, verse 21, pointing to John, right? Lord, what about this man? What about John? What are you going to do with him? What did Jesus say? John chapter 21, verse 22. If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. What Peter is saying to, what, John, what Jesus is saying to Peter is this. It's none of your business what I do with other people. Don't worry about it. You do you and let them do them. That's what Jesus is saying to Peter. Don't assess other people. Don't worry about the efficacy of other people's ministry and what God's called them to do in their life. They're faithful to the Lord. God will use them in their own ways. You do you. You follow me. So this is the hard attitude of a mature believer in Christ, a faithful believer, is that we're focused on the Lord. We're undistracted by the comparisons of this world. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4 says this, No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. If you're a soldier in Christ, you're not distracted by 
other things around you. You're like that soldier Buckingham Palace, right? Like you could do this, you could laugh, and you can jump in front of him. He's not going to move. He's not going to laugh. He's going to do what he does. That's what God's called us to do. Don't worry about what's happening around you. Be focused on the commander-in-chief who's called you. And as you're focused on what God is calling you to do, your life will be transformed because your eyes are focused on Christ and Christ alone. Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says this, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. God says this, I just need you to look at me. By comparison of the other people, I say, no, I want to live that life. I want to step into that role. I want to kind of have the same journey. God says, forget that. Forget that. You don't need that same journey. You have your own journey. You can look at me, and, and as you're looking at me, you have your own life transformed before me. As your life being transformed, you have your own journey. You have your own pathway. And it's a good pathway. It's an adventurous pathway, and you'll enjoy the pathway just as long as you look at me and me alone. So here, we're not to be distracted. We're not to be distracted by comparisons. If you're a faithful servant of God, you're not to be distracted. You consider yourself to be a galley slave. You're not to be distracted. And the third characteristic to a faithful believer in Christ and it is this. You are focused. You're focused on the Lord. You are focused on the eternal reward. We're going to see this in verse 4. Verse 4. It says this. For I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It's the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time. For the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purpose of the heart. And each one receive his commendation from God. Paul says this, I'm focused. I'm focused on the Lord and what he's called me to do. And when he's focused on the Lord, he is making assessment of his own ministry. He says in this verse 4, for I am not aware of anything against myself. Now, he does assess his ministry. We are called to examine ourselves. We're not called to judge in the sense of comparing ourselves with other people in our importance in the kingdom of God. No, we're not to do that. But we're called to examine ourselves in how we measure up to the word of God. That is a good examination. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 31 says this, you to examine yourself, right? Even in communion, we're to examine ourselves. Paul called Timothy to examine himself. He said this in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, to keep a close watch on yourself, right? And on the teaching, persistence for so by doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And Paul's calling Timothy, I want you to watch two things in your life, namely your life, your holiness, your purity, your, your, your life of, of living unto your personal life, make sure there are no hidden compartments of your life which other people don't see. You need to keep those pure before the Lord, your, your personal commitment to God, and you need to watch that, and also you need to watch your doctrine, your teaching, making sure that you're teaching the right things. So Timothy is a pastor. Watch your life. So we need to know by which, uh, we need to know how we're assessed by the Word of God. We need to compare ourselves with the Word of God, and when we do, when we do, Paul says this is the attitude of a good preacher or the attitude of a good minister. He is not aware of anything against himself. See, all of us need to live with a clear conscience. I hope that is the attitude of each one of us here today, is that you are not aware of anything against yourself. You can look at your life and say, you know what, I don't have any secret compartments of sin, which I have against myself and say, you know, I'm going to hold on to this, but then you know what, I, I just, nobody knows, but I'm going to have this in the, in the back pocket. 
It's like, no, Paul says, I don't have anything in my back pocket. Like, everything's out, you know, all my pockets out. Like, I'm nothing against myself. My heart, my public life, my private life are, can, can be viewed and it's the same. I'm not aware of anything against myself. This is what we need to do. But, but, he says this, even though I live with such a confidence, in verse 4, I am not thereby acquitted. He says, I can have blind spots still. I'm still growing. I'm still finding out things about myself I need to grow in. And if that's the case in the past, it will be the case in the future. I'm still growing in the Lord. You know, one theologian, one pastor says this, every single hero of faith had their blind spots. They all walk with a limp. They all walk with a limp. They, they do. They're like Jacob, right? They all walk with a limp. They all have something in their life that, 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 that we could all look back and we look forward, I guess, look back 200 years from now and say, you know what, this person could have done better in this. And that's going to be the case for us as well. We just don't really know what that is for many of us. It's like, I would have done something about it if I knew everything, but God's have simply did not reveal it to, to us, to everything that which we can grow even that's at this moment in our lives because that's not the most important thing. The most important thing as we're going to see is faithfulness. Our faithfulness in, bring, in living out for Jesus in what we know to be true. And so Paul says this, I'm not thereby quitted. It's the Lord who judges me. But yet he takes satisfaction in the fact that God judges him according not because he's perfect in every way, but according to his faithfulness in, his, in the fact that is he practicing, is he accomplishing, is he living out what God told him to live out? Is he doing everything that God told him to live out? Is he making the best of his ability, making the best of his time, making the best of his time here on earth? Is he doing that? So verse 5, it says this, the Lord comes. So we're not to judge, right? We're not to judge because we talked about this. We can't make a judgment about ourselves. We're not in the, we cannot assess ourselves perfectly. We just humbly appear before the Lord and be faithful before him. And we lead other people's assessment to God as well. And we're to what? Verse 5. When the Lord come, he will bring light, the things now hidden in darkness, and will disclose the purpose of the heart. Each one receive his commendation from God. God is the one who's going to judge. Now, I want to be faithful before the Lord. I pray, and I'm going to expect this good and faithful servant. So you know what? God's going to call me a good and faithful servant. Just, you just watch. Like, I, can't know, I can't tell people that, right? I have to leave it to the Lord. I'm just going to heaven. And I'm going to be on my own four limbs. Right? I'm going to prostrate myself before God. And I, and I pray, and I think I will, but I pray that this will be the answer. I pray that this will be what God says, good and faithful servant. I'm humbling myself before God. And the way that God judges is by this, by the secret things, the hidden things in darkness, and will disclose the purposes of the heart. So what are the things hidden in darkness? Again, we're reiterating this over and over again. These are the hidden things of their heart. Each man will have the things which they do before the Lord, which no one can see. That means this. That means that you could have a great church in terms of capacity and, and quantity and all these things. But these are not the things which are hidden. You could look at a mega church pastor and say, well, this person will receive great amount of reward before God. Well, according to this passage, God is not assessing this pastor by that. He's assessing this pastor by what? Things hidden in darkness, namely his own heart and how he commits himself to the Lord in his specific space. He's going to be assessed by the purposes of his heart. So a person who wiped the floor at church, at that mega church, versus a mega church pastor who seemingly have a lot of influence, that person who wipes the floor could very well get more reward. That's what God is saying, because God will only look at the hidden things in darkness, things that people cannot see. 
1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13 says the same thing. We already talked about this. Each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And fire will test what? What, what kind of work? What quantity of work? What amount of work? No, right? What sort of work? What sort of work each one has done? What is the quality of your work? The quality is this. Your heart's faithfulness combined with your passion and commitment and your heart service and your actual service to the Lord. If you have the heart, pure heart of service unto God and you actually go about and do it, this is the work God will assess you by. God will assess you by your faithfulness. And when he does, anyone whose heart is not right with the Lord, even though they've done a lot, they may be a mega church pastor, done a lot, influenced a lot of people, all that will be burned away by fire. It's nothing, nothing before the Lord. But if you wipe the floor faithfully every day, you know, clean the table, and you're doing it out of heart devotion, all that we present before the Lord, especially when no one sees it, especially in secret, making sure that if you do something for the Lord, and we'll talk about this, you made a secret. We see this in Matthew chapter 6. Put that in a secret. When God was says the secret things and give commendation, verse 5, each one then will receive his commendation from God. You receive a commendation from God. You receive your praise from the Lord. Some will receive more, some will receive less. But at the end, if you're a savior, you're a believer of God, if you do things for the Lord, all that will be precious stone, gold and silver. And things that are not done for the Lord, you just do them for yourself, all that will be burned away. You see, this week I was listening to a particular, actually I watched a particular um, video on, on YouTube and, and really followed this Southern Baptist Convention. They had this Anaheim convention this last week. And uh, we're, even though we're not part of the Southern Baptists and we're just Baptist church, independent Baptists, uh, I'm interested in what Baptist churches are doing. Southern Baptists is one of the largest denominations here in America. They make a lot of decisions and people come together and talk and discuss. There's one pastor that stood up <laughs> and he said these words. It's a mega church pastor down in Orange County. If, you had, if I say his name, all of you will know who he is. But he says this, and he's retiring. He said this, I preached over 120 Harvest Crusade before I was 20. We baptized 56,631 new believers. We sent 20,869 uh, 20, members overseas to 197 nations. 70,157 members of our church signed our membership covenant. I had the privilege of training over 1.1 million pastors. And he said this, sorry, friends, that's more than all of our seminaries put together. It's like, Wow. Wow, what did you just say? You, one person alone, has trained 1.1 million pastors more than all the Southern Baptist seminaries put together. He's been stood up and said that to all the people in that convention. I mean, they've been probably done a lot. Give him credit. He's a mega church pastor. Probably done a lot. But why keep the count? Why count so accurately? I mean, are you serious that you could... I mean, did you really count them that accurately? Why keep the count? And also, why compare yourself with other people's work? I mean, there are pastors and theologians and of all kinds working in those seminaries and, and pouring their life out to the people who are going to the seminaries. Why say that you are, you've done more than they have? Why? You see, ministerial pride is active and well in the church. But what Jesus says is this, Matthew chapter 6, verse 3 to 4. When you give to the needy, what? Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Don't let other people know what you're doing. When you do it, 
just present the final product and don't even let people know how hard it is. Sometimes we do this, right, in ministry. It's like the people say, oh, thank you so much for doing it. Was it hard? Yeah, it was very hard, but you keep it to yourself, right? It's like, no, we love you. We serve you. Here's the final product. You don't tell people everything, right? It's like, you know what? That's my reward for the Lord. I'm reward before God. It's the secret things. I don't want everybody to know all the things I've done, right? Jesus said, don't let everybody know so that you can actually be rewarded by God for the things that other people don't know. So keep it secret. Right? Present the final product and say, you know what, this is for you. This is for the Lord. How much did it cost? How much? It's okay. It's for the Lord. It's for the Lord. And you keep it that way. In fact, you're not even keeping count of yourself. You're not like giving this tremendous counting to the things you've done for the Lord. Luke chapter 17, verse 10. Jesus says, and see that you also, when you've done all that you're commanded, and say what? We are unworthy servants. We've only done what was in our duty. We've only done what was in our duty. We're, we've just, we're going out there, we're we're, we're mopping tables. We're doing these things. We're, we're ministering. We're counseling. We're just doing what is in our duty. We're serving in small groups. We're only doing what is in our duty. We're not keeping count. We're not, like, writing down these numbers and saying, you know what? I'm going to write down these numbers and make sure that when I get to God and God's going to say, well, you know, I've, you've done this. Oh, no, wait, wait, wait. wait. You, you missed this, God. You know, you, I, I, I really did what I did this amount. You missed this number. It's like, no, we're just there to do what is in our duty. We probably even forgot everything we do. And God's going to say, you know what? It's okay for God. It's okay you don't remember everything you've done for me because I know. I know. That's the hard attitude of those who are faithful. So here we see if you're faithful in the Lord, number one lesson here in the lesson is that you don't compare yourself with others. There's a lot of comparison we can make, right, in our own minds. Stop it. Right? I have to train myself to stop it. You compare yourself based on your finances, compare yourself based on your accomplishments, your career, your church status, and how much work that you do at the church. Forget it. Forget it. Don't compare yourself with others. We're just hands and feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 21 says this, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the hand to the feet, I have no need of you. Can't say that. We all need each other. And in fact, what we need each other to do is this. We need each other to function in the roles which God's called us to. Matthew chapter 24, verse 25, uh, 45 says this, Who then is that faithful and wise servant whom his master has sent over his household to give them food or their food at the proper time? That's what we're doing. We all have our proper times now. We all have roles. And in our roles, we all have to serve and accomplish and, and do our duties in the proper time. You know, the fact that I have to walk from here to over here means that my arm have to move a certain way, my feet have to move a certain way, my nerves have to send a signal, my toes had to, certain, had to do everything at the proper time. And so all of us all have our proper times. So just be faithful to do what you're called to do in the proper time. Just be faithful. Be faithful in what God's called you to do. In fact, all the heroes of faith in the Old Testament are attributed this word. They're faithful. Moses was faithful. Numbers 12, verse 7, he's faithful in all my house. Tychicus was faithful. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 21, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord. Epaphras was faithful. Colossians chapter 1, verse 7, as you learn from Epaphras, our beloved and fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. Faithfulness is a great accolade from our Lord. So here we see three characteristics that would define a faithful believer in Christ. One, he's a servant. He considers himself a galley slave for the Lord. Second, he's undistracted. 
He's not distracted by comparisons of this world and even in his own mind. He doesn't compare himself with others. And third, he's focused. So he's pushing away the distraction. He's focused on the reward that's found in Christ alone. That's what it means to be faithful. And oftentimes, being faithful means that we are faithful in that one thing that God's called us to. I'll end up with this conclusion. I, I think about my home and, and, and my tools, which I have in my home. I have a lot of tools because before I got married, I loved fixing cars. I loved just finding out how to fix things. So over the years, over the years, I collected a lot of tools, tools from screwdrivers to wrenches, and, and they're tools which are multi-use tools or, or be like a screwdriver, but you can put a multi-tip uh, tool there at the end. It'd be, uh, it could be a screwdriver, it could be a flathead, it could be a file, it could be different kinds of things. And, and they have crescent wrenches that are just crescent wrench itself or have those crescent wrenches that are adjustable. As I began to work on cars and different kinds of things, I found out this. If I want to get in, fix something, I'm serious about fixing one thing. I'm picking out that tool that fix. I'm not picking out that tool that does that one thing alone. I, I don't like using that screwdriver with a little tip at the end. Some of you might, but I end up losing them when I tip them down. I, you know, it, it just loses the tip. I can't find the tip anymore. And adjustable crescent wrenches, eventually the adjustable thing, they just kind of lose, lose, lose adjustment, and I can't use it as well as the, the one that just clamps down the, the, to the size which I want it to be. You see, our ministry to the Lord is the same way. I understand that in the beginning, all of us may be trying different kinds of things in ministry, and that's a good thing. You could try different kinds of things and see what the Lord's called you to. That's a good thing. But you know what? When you begin to dedicate yourself to God, I believe that for each one of us, God calls you to one thing, and that we're to faithfully accomplish that one thing for the rest of our lives. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 26. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating in the air. I do not just serve aimlessly. I do not just kind of do things aimlessly, but I know what God's called me to do. Right? He's an apostle. He does what God calls him to do. Plant churches is what he's doing. He does that. He does it well. In the end, he says, there's reserved for me a crown of glory for those who are faithful. That's what we wanted to be as well. Be good. And be faithful at the one thing God's called you to do. That's a spiritual blessing for each one of us. Amen. Amen. Let's bow in a word of prayer. <laughs> Our Father, we are we're grateful for just this lesson. This lesson of faithfulness. We know, Lord, that many times we're lacking in this. And certainly I can be lacking in it as well. But we know, Lord, that as we consider these points, what it means to be a servant of yours, we pray that we would throw away all the distractions which are just hanging on to us and focus on the Lord Jesus Christ alone. We know, Lord, as we do so, we will be that one tool useful for you for that one job you call us to do. In the end, we will be called faithful servants of yours, and that's the greatest accolade that we could have um, on that side of glory. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.